So what's the scariest thing you've ever read? I'll tell you the scariest thing I've ever read. And, and let, let, let's pop quiz this one and see if you can name what it is. This is the first line of the scariest thing I've ever read. The great fish moved silently through the night water, propelled by short sweeps of its crescent tail. The mouth was opened just enough to permit a rush of water over the gills. The eyes were, the sight, were sightless in the black, and the other senses transmitted nothing extraordinary to the small primitive brain. Jaws. Jaws. Jaws was, by the way, Jaws. Uh, Jaws was a book before it was a film. Now, if you know the film, the film is a famous film, okay? It's Steven Spielberg. Everyone thinks Steven Spielberg kind of created Jaws. He did not. It was a book that was a bestseller before he ever picked it up. When you read the book, you actually get frightened of the water. So before the film hit, and I don't know if you were uh, around in this era. Obviously, I'm, I'm uh, in my 30s, so <laughs> I'm a lot older than that. But I remember the film coming out, going and seeing it, and from then on, evermore, and still today... I am scared of deep, dark water in the sea. That film, like, did it. But the book had already done it to many. They said that people swimming reduced massively in the sea once the book of Jaws came out because it was just brilliantly written. And as you're reading the book, you're kind of getting all twitchy and nervous. That was the scariest thing I've ever read till Hebrews came along. <laughs> and now the scariest thing I've ever read is Hebrews. I don't mean the scariest thing I've ever read, but, but you know, it's, when you really take Hebrews on, it is a really quite concerning uh, letter because, as Aaron said at the beginning, I don't know if you remember when we kicked this off, he said, look, if you're not going to get challenged or even disturbed by some of Hebrews, and you're probably not reading it right, it asks some very tough questions. And the questions I'm going to tr try and wrestle with today are very tough questions to wrestle with. I was having all of yesterday trying to sort of get my head around, where do, where do we really stand here? Because there's so many opinions and so many views on the scripture I'm going to look at. There's a 20 preachers in this chunk of scripture, and all of them are probably full of controversy. It's so great when you're doing this to see a bunch of LST students turn up. It's really reassuring. <laughs> okay, this is going to be a theology challenge. But um, yeah, I want to kind of, so I think these, I'm going to take on three Three topics from this chunk of scripture. We're going to read the scripture in full. We think it's really good that we hear the word in full in this church, not just snippets that fit a theme. So I'm going to read um, all the way in a moment from 5.11 to, to the end of 6, which is uh, 20 verses. And I just want us to sort of wrestle with it a bit. And, and I'm sure some of the things I'm going to share, some of you may not agree with. Well, they're not keeping you entertained, Benny. <laughs> <laughs> Benny's watching a YouTube clip from some other preacher. <laughs> so I'm going to make a spectacle of you now. Oh, I love you, Benny. Right. Okay. So uh, if you've got your Bibles, want to turn to Hebrews 5, get yourself to verse 11. We're going to read right through 6. And then we're just going to wrestle with this a bit. And like I say, you'll probably end up with some people, mm, I'm not sure. Well, let's keep talking. But this is, I want to tell you where we stand as a leadership and an ownership team on this. Right. So let me read to you. And I'll try and put it on the screen for those that are um, needing it. Right, so I'm doing from the ESV version here. About this we have much to say. And it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, 
for those who have their power, powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Going to six here. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instructions about washing, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared it in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up in contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, few, we're sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you, And multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Right, okay. There's 20 preachers in there at least. I'm probably not exaggerating at all. Um, But like I said, there's a few particular bombshells maybe that I want to pick up on. Um, And so I've done the most tenuously cheesy, pointless link. I'm going to use three ups. I'm going to talk about grow up. I'm going to talk about wake up. And I'll talk about pull up. And the up is there for no other purpose except later on you'll think, what was he talking about? Something to do with up. And hopefully it will come back to you. Let's talk about grow up. So I'm using 5.11 to 6.3 here. Now, this has in itself caused a lot of consternation, this scripture. It's one which is partly quite obvious, like would we not all want to mature? Do we not all want to mature? Do we not want to go on from milk to solid food? It's, but it's not an easy read because, in essence, it's saying you need to grow in your understanding of the basics and know the word. And certainly, if you've been a Christian for a while, you would have grasped what they would say, these are the first principles. 
And the question then you have to ask is, well, have I really grasped them? Have I really grasped them? This is just the fundamentals. And yet the fact that we are still wrestling with some of this stuff challenges, do we really get even the fundamentals of our faith or have we made something that is digestible, just like milk? Or do we take on something that is hard to digest, like solid food? It's the question it's asking us. Are we trying to make this palatable or are we willing to take it on as it reads? Because it reads really tough. This might even hurt a bit. And I'll talk about this a bit more in the wake-up section coming next. But if we want to be someone who says we're moving forward, but then we do things that are fundamentally odds with the basics, with the fundamental basics, then the writer of the Hebrew is going to ask you, do you want to grow up? Grow up. Study deep. Get this stuff resolved. Because on that you will build. Because if you don't get it resolved, you'll wobble a lot. I nearly brought, I didn't, decided not to. Health and safety would shut me down. I nearly brought some bricks here and I was going to lay each brick down and, and say, look, you can't stand on just one of these things. You have to get the fundamentals laid down in the foundation. I know this from my own personal walk with Christ. So you need to get this stuff nailed. But remember who Hebrews is written to. Written to Jews who have chosen to follow Christ. These new Christian Jews. And they're the same as us in that regard. We have chosen to follow Christ. Whether you were raised in a Christian family or you weren't as I was. I'm married to someone who was. We both had a moment where we made a conscious choice to follow Christ. Mine was more significant in some regards because I came from like nothing to suddenly meeting Jesus. My, my wife knew him for all her, her years as she was born, but she made a declaration herself. I, I will follow him. Right then, let's go to the fundamentals. We've gone from a life without Christ to one where we are born again. Something must have changed. And to be born again means we must question, what is it we've been born again into? These, there's five, I'm going to list out, five points that are sitting in that scripture. These are the things that we need to understand. And we should be able, now, now look, there's again, some, because the letter to the Hebrews, don't know who wrote it. Sometimes context is tricky. Is he talking to people who are like a special group who should be teachers? Or is he talking to everyone who should be mature in the faith? I don't think that really matters very much. If you're someone who's been a Christian for many years, you should understand this stuff and be able to teach it to someone else. And if not, then we have to kind of say, well, let me push in harder. Let's not take this as a moment of condemnation. I don't really know. A moment of conviction. I should really try and pursue this stuff till I get my head around it. It's important. Because especially in today's society and the culture we live in, we just question everything. And we say, no, I've got my opinion and it trumps yours. So to be able to say, well, listen, I'm talking from Scripture here and I'm telling you what I understand from the Word of God that has survived thousands of years, that has transformed the lives of billions, should hold a little bit more weight than, I'm not really sure how to answer that. Your opinion, yeah, it's a good one. And then we end up in the milk territory. Let's make it palatable. Let's make it something we can consume. These five things I want to bring out. The first thing is, it mentions Repentance in that scripture a turning away from works that are dead a turning away from works that are dead this does not mean turning away from sin 
in this context at least I believe, it's, it's not works that lead to death, but works that are dead. Doing things that have no consequence. Believing they're going to help you, but they don't at all. Turning away from works that are dead, like a dead end. Repentance is not saying sorry either. It's one of the greatest misconceptions that repentance is just sorry, and off we go again. The word, I'm nervous now because Marion's here and we're doing Greek, but the word in the Greek <laughs> is metanoia. Is that okay? I've got my diphthong. Super. Um, <laughs> wonderful. And by the way, let me just take a moment's pause. Fantastic course, Greek. Photography course, amazing. <laughs> Running course, brilliant. If you're not on one of these courses, I don't understand you. We have got some of the most... I, the photography course last week was like, all my life, if I'd just known that, I could have taken much better photographs. Anyway, moving back to the Greek. Um, metanoia. It's, it's really more like change your mind. Not just sorry, but I'm going to change my viewpoint. Phil Moore puts it in his uh, book about this. A willingness to embrace God's new way of thinking. So I think this way, I repent of this way, and I choose another way to think. Not sorry, 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 but no, sorry, and then turning. That's the first basic. We turn away from our old way of thinking. Now, this for us may be the removal of self-reliance. These types of things. The things that I believed before I knew Christ or as I get to know Christ. I'm not the answer to my problems. He is. I'm not the great solution to my sin. He is. I can't fix this for myself. Only he can. So we renounce old methods. We don't rely on Jesus and then something else. This was the issue with the Jewish Christians. They were going back to Jesus plus. And we think, oh, that's a silly thing. Well, I know I do it too. I confess to you. My faith is sometimes Jesus plus some stuff that I need to figure out and work out for myself. I wrestle the steering wheel from him sometimes and say, I love you, but I really need to steer this section of my life. There is no Jesus plus. There is just Jesus. This next one is faith. Whoops. In this context... I believe it's saying, we believe what God says is true. We believe it to be true. We believe what the word says is truth. And that means we have to face up to the fact that sometimes it makes us very uncomfortable. But we should push in on that and try and understand why and not just say, well, I'm just going to gloss over that section because I'm going to go over to the other section because we're just going to go to Cocoa Pops and milk. And we need to get ourselves onto solid food. Hebrews 4.12 says it's the word of God. The faith for me says... God is who he says who he is. God is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do. He is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do. Milk drinking Christians are not quite sure. Meat Christians say, I believe in everything, that he is who he says he is, and his promises are true. Washing was the next one in there. These are the fundamentals we need to understand. I'll keep this one short. This is a reminder we are baptized into Christ and his blood washes us clean of our sin and nothing else can do it. Nothing else will supplement it. Only his blood will wash us clean of our sin. There's nothing to be added. In this case, they were going back to some of the ceremonial washing, which of course was another way to wash off sin. There is no way to wash off sin except through the blood of Christ. 
The blood of Christ is superior, superior, and it cleanses us completely. The laying on of hands, very conscious at that moment, thinking, COVID, do I put my hand on Ruth's back? And I thought, you know what? I'm going to do it because I know I'm green. I did a negative COVID test. That's kind of a secondary part. But we're praying because Jews would have known this. This was not a new practice to them. Laying on of hands, anointing of people into ministry was a standard thing. The impartation of the Holy Spirit, we're calling to anoint them as they lead. It's not just a, oh, it's nice to put your hand on someone's shoulder. Better not do it because of COVID. And I appreciate that. I took a risk and some of you may disagree with it. I want to be able to do what the Bible says. And I believe, just prayed in faith for that moment. I've tested negative. I'm green. She's green. I'm going to put my hand on her back. Hallelujah. Resurrection from the dead and eternal judgment. Basic Christianity is that Jesus rose from the dead and we will too. And there is eternal judgment and there is a heaven and a hell. This is where we go all milky. Because it's hard to grasp the fact that the word says, nope, there is eternal judgment and everyone will be judged. And we want that to not be true. We want there to be ways around that. And that causes a weak Christianity in us, a weak evangelism. Because we think, well, it doesn't, well, maybe they'll get in, I don't really know. Maybe I hope that at the end of their lives they might say something about Jesus and maybe that'll be enough. And of course, we're just playing the odds because it's too hard to face up to the fact that this tells us there will be eternal judgment for everyone. We can't make that one palatable. It has to stir us on to be the ones that desire to share the gospel then, not say I need to make that one that I can digest. I originally called this, sec- this section like grow down and then grow up because what the writer I believe is saying is grip the fundamentals and the foundations of your faith or you're going to get stuck in preschool. John Piper puts it, he says, look, you don't lay foundations and then dig them up and relay them the next day. You want them to stay fundamentally solid in the ground. So you have to plant them well, which means sometimes we have to say, well, I don't think I've planted particularly well here. I'm going to plant this properly, so I'm building on this. And this morning as I woke up at five o'clock, why, Lord? Why five o'clock did you wake me up? I had this kind of overwhelming, like, don't know why. Imagine, if I felt God say, look, say this to me. Imagine you we're in a room full of geography teacher students, or geography students, and they've been studying geography for years. And we say to them, okay, you know continents and countries? They go, yes, I will forget them. Don't need them anymore. Let's move on to other parts of geography. No, you need this is fundamental stuff. You don't abandon and walk away from the foundations of geography because you've moved on to something else. It's very important that we understand that we are called to put these things in place and then build on them. But the question is, as a geography teacher, what, you don't know continents and countries? Hang on, how long have you been around us in this geography lesson to not understand some of the fundamentals? And I'm with you here, guys, so if you feel this is tart, I'm thinking, do I really understand or have I really wrestled enough with some of the fundamentals? Not because I'm going to abandon them, because that's sometimes you misread that scripture. I'm going to leave them as in I'm going to build up from here. I'm not going to keep going back to countries and continents. I'm going to move on to more sophisticated subjects. I'm going to go deeper on this because I've got this stuff nailed. If we're not sure on these things, if we're uncertain... There are amazing people in this church who can help us walk through this together. 
One of the things I've learned, at least in recent years of spending time with a couple of individuals, is just wrestling is good. Saying I'm not sure is good. Saying it's too hard, I'm going to leave it, is not good. Sometimes you make the wrong decision, but if you keep wrestling, you'll get there. Number two. Wow. Told you it was 20 preachers in one. Uh, wake up. Hebrews 6, 4 to 7, there on the screen. Now, this is probably one of the most hotly debated pieces of scripture around, maybe up the top there. It is, I'm going I'm to explore some of it, but I'm definitely not going to cover every nuance of it today. I'm going to give you our church's position, my position, hopefully our church's position, me and Aaron will be having a chat. Um, and if you want to debate this with us, feel free. But I guarantee if we were to have a discussion about it, nothing you will say will not have been argued around this piece of scripture. This has been argued and talked about for many years. I just have to say where we stand. First, just let's go for it is impossible. Again, solid food eaters, let's say, no, it means it's impossible. Doesn't mean it's hard, unlikely, means it's impossible. We already don't like that. I'm sure we're struggling with that when you read what's coming after it. It means it cannot happen, not possible. Then we need to figure out, well, who we're talking about. We're talking about people who have experienced these things. And another, another five for you. They have been enlightened. They have come, they have seen a great light. They have been in darkness and they have seen a light. Okay. They have tasted of the heavenly gift. They've had powerful experiences in this life of what heaven will be like. They have shared in the Holy Spirit. This is interesting. This only appears in Hebrews. It's a difficult expression when you actually look at it a bit closer. What does it really mean to share in the Holy Spirit? I believe this is actually to have participated in works with him. To have done things where the Holy Spirit has come alongside and we have participated, been used by actively. They have tasted of the good word. They know the word of God, experienced its power, and they know it's beautiful. The good word. The powers of the age to come, they have experienced something of supernatural power in this life. Now, if you were to tick off that list, there's again a five, then frankly get up here and I'll sit down. But this is not the point of the letter. The question here that often gets heated is based on what follows. It's the falling away and the difference between true believers or false believers. Is that what this is about? Is this about fake believers? I don't think that's the point either. Let's just step out for a moment and, and try and consider this. What do we believe a true Christian is? It's not someone who simply takes a free ticket to heaven. I've been in enough of those situations over my Christian walk now to see people shoot their hand up at a big event where, where such a ticket offer is made. Go, yes, yes, I'll take it. And then nothing happens afterwards. This to me says they have not been saved. They have not been saved. They have not experienced these things. They have responded in a moment of euphoria. And let's just face facts. It happens. It happens that we respond on the night, but actually nothing really happens. Whether they weren't prayed for or they didn't know what went on, it happens. I can think of someone very close to us who we were so excited when he responded and then nothing happened. 
Jesus invites us, yes, if the ticket analogy helps, it's fine to have that as a principle that you'd like to hold on to. That's okay, but we have to look at the ticket first. Look at the price in the corner. Written in his blood is my life. That ticket cost my life. And if that ticket costs his life, then I need to respond much more than, cheers, mate, I might follow through. I might take the journey that you've just offered me the ticket for. If it costs you your life and I accept it for what it is, then I will walk with you. It's the beginning of a journey. Jesus offers a superior life. Scripture says we go on being saved. We're not saved in a moment and then nothing happens. We go on being saved. Romans talks about being transformed. There are, there are things that happen in this journey of transformation that is about the saving life is not a moment and then a pause and then heaven. There is a journey that happens afterwards. And that needs to be transformative when we receive Jesus. I don't believe this is about losing your salvation. Asking Christians the question they don't want to be asked is a shock in our walk sometimes. I think this is about saying, wake up, guys. Remember, if you followed this path and experienced these things, you can't possibly now go back and go back down the road and try the other things. That's not possible. If you've truly experienced this stuff, I worry about the thought that God's grip is weak enough to just let people slip out of his hand. That doesn't sit right with me. We've even sung it. Nothing can pluck me from his hand. We've sung it this morning, and yet we could believe that those who have truly been saved could be somehow lost, loosened. I think there is times when we fall and we have issues with our walk, but that's not the same as falling away. There's a big difference. For me, it's about going backwards and then getting on the wrong path and trying to recreate it again. We've lost everything that we've been promised, and we've gone backwards. Therefore, the question is, did we ever get it in the first place? Did we really understand what it is? Were we truly saved in the first place? Because people experience lots of these things, but can not be saved. Being spiritual and religious and around church does not make us saved. Pharisees did that a lot. Judas did that a lot. It's the submission to Christ. It's the submission that he is who he says he is, my Lord and my Savior. And the Pharisees and Judas never submitted to that fully. They were around, they understood. Judas definitely must have understood enough, but he did not submit to Christ for who he was. It's not about being the perfect Christian either. Look at <laughs> Judas and Peter. Peter's not a perfect Christian. Walking with Christ then denies him, literally denies him because to, to, he's frightened. Is he then, that's it? You mustn't know. Peter knew Jesus was who he said he was and he wanted the path back to him. He wanted him back. He never lost his grip or his desire to hold on to Jesus even though he had issues. So even if you're struggling, it's knowing that he is the only way and coming back to him. We can ask for forgiveness because Christ is full of grace and mercy as is the Father. Hebrews is a bit of a bombshell to us, Hebrews 6. It's to shock us out of a lukewarm, lethargic, mix-and-match kind of approach to our Christian faith. I've had seasons like that. I've had seasons where I look at those five things and think, I've experienced all that, Andy. Why, why are you where you are? Does that mean I have lost my 
faith, I've lost my salvation. No. I know the route back. I know to hold on to him. But if I start to recreate the things of my past, I will not find my way back. Let's talk about listen up. And then we're going to respond in a time of prayer. Sorry, pull up. wasn't listen up, pull up. Hebrews 6, 13 to 20. You'll be pleased to hear. This is a confetti bomb. It's like a boo. Ah. It starts off with the, the, the line before in the earlier on. It says about, not for you guys. Because it feels like the writer of the letter has kind of said, hang on a second, I, I've laid it on with a trowel here. They've kind of pushed it right forward. I'm going to have to just ease back a little bit and say, listen, just to reassure you. And I feel like probably you feel like that too. I feel a bit like that when I read it. It's like, just to reassure you, you know, God is good. Jesus is who he says he is. You have a steadfast anchor. You have salvation if you hold on and hold fast. Don't panic. Don't worry. But this is to shock some of us who are kind of going backwards, going into old ways. Verse 10, it says at the beginning, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. So though I've spoken in this way, I feel sure, beloved, of better things for us. Amen? Even though I've spoken in this way today, it's probably like, oh, word. I'm sure of better things for us. There are warnings all over Hebrews. They are stark and they are shock-like. Some of them would say, I'm not going to go down that direction. I'm thinking, well, maybe I will. Lots of challenging things here. We still need to grasp this section, though, even though it's, it's a gentler section of the, of the letter. I want us to walk away at least with these verses ringing in our heads. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I'm not going to do Melchizedek. Whoever's, is it Yost next? It's all yours, Yost. Right. Um, but for me, we're going to link back to where we started with the fundamentals. With the fundamentals. Our faith is we believe what God says is true. We believe when he makes a promise, he follows it through without question. Because if we're digging that up, we're going to struggle with the foundation of this. This section of scripture reminds us God made a promise to Abraham that he'd have a son. Barren wife, no chance. No, you will have a son. Abraham waits 15 years. Then he has a son and Isaac and all the nations and everything that comes after that. Watch our stuff on Exodus if you want more on that. That scripture is to... Remember, we're talking to Hebrews here? To Jews, sorry. Hebrews is to Jews. So they know that. They say, look, that was God's promise. And 15 years later, he fulfills it. There is an even greater promise than that one. A superior promise. God promised to send a saviour. God promised to send someone who would come and save us from our sin and welcome us into eternal life, who would wash away our iniquities, who would be pierced for our transgressions. And he makes good on that promise. God cannot lie. Jesus is the promise, the ultimate promise, that we need to hold fast to that hope, that there's an anchor that sits inside heaven. So 
Even when we rehearsed it today, we, we sung. My anchor holds within the grave, whatever that means. My anchor, because we sing that. And it's like, what does it actually mean? And I said to Jane this morning, she's away babysitting for her um, a nephew and nieces. And I, she said, good, I've never known what that one means. I sing it because it's, it's like a rousing part of the song. But what does it actually mean? Someone pointed out for me something, and it was a bit of an aha moment, and it kind of was this about, I'll come back to the anchor um, beyond the veil. Did I say grave before veil? Um, anchors on the side of a ship, like that one there on the left, look nice. They're doing absolutely nothing. At this point, they are non-functioning, useless. It is a piece of metal attached to a ship that is not doing anything. An anchor is only doing what it's designed to do when it's out of sight. When it goes down into the bed of the sea and takes the firmest of grips and holds on tight. And what's attached to it does not see it anymore. It is now way, and obviously the more extreme cases, I mean, that is a genuine picture there on the left of an anchor way down in the sea. So go with me here. Close your eyes if it helps. Picture an unbreakable chain in your hands. I mean, literally, visualize you're gripping a chain, and that chain is made of something you just know to be unbreakable. The other end of the anchor, holding the anchor, is Jesus. And he takes that anchor into heaven, and he rams it into the ground so hard that it can never be removed. This is your destiny. This is where I've called you to. Hold on. Because this isn't coming out. Now, we can't see inside of heaven. Again, read Exodus and find out about the stories of that. The veil. We can't see into heaven. There was a veil that they would go into, the Holy of Holies. The the high priest would go in and offer sacrifices of sin. Jesus goes in and is there now, there, inside the Holy of Holies. And the anchor is in the ground. And he says, hold on, hold on. This anchor is not coming out. That chain won't break. This isn't coming out. Storms are going to come. Times of testing will come and storms will come. But this isn't moving and that's not breaking. So there's only one thing you have to do. Hold on. Hold on. And if you slip and you lose your grip, grab hold again. That's not breaking. This isn't moving. So we can go through times of life when we get severely tested and our faith gets severely rocked. Remember losing my dad and Jane's mum in a very short space of time. Of course our faith was rocked. I can't say at that point I was ready to sing happy songs. But I knew I had to hold on. There's a lot more to that than that, as you can obviously imagine, to that anchor beyond the veil. Ship's anchors go down. Our anchor goes up. Sometimes we need to pull up. When the world has kind of come over us and situations are pulling us down, we need to pull up. Because that's not moving and this ain't breaking. 